0: You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God, and we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We're glad that you're here. So, let me tell you, if you're not aware, I have three kids. Um, my daughter Mia is 16, who just sang that last song. And um, Xander is 14, who was playing here uh, earlier. And uh, yeah, appreciate that. And Olivia, at least for the next uh, 10 days or so, is 11. And uh, so uh, people used to tell me that having kids was fine until they become teenagers. And and, and I, I'm, I'm here to tell you, uh, if you're parenting young kids and you're like, you know, they're tough now. I can't wait. What are they going to be when they're teenagers? Let me tell you something. Um, I've never had more fun with my kids than I am having right now. So I hope that you're looking forward to it. Um, but I will say this. I thought every season with my kids was the best season. When they were 5, 3, and 1, I thought there's no way it can get any better than this. And when they were, you know, 10, 8, and, uh, well, I'm still trying to carry the one. And, uh, <laughs> but then when they were 10, 8, and 5, I thought, oh, there's no way it can get any better. And, and it, just, it just does. And, uh, and, because, and I'll tell you this, especially if your kids are really young, there comes this moment when your kids become able to feed themselves, clothe themselves, and bathe themselves. And, man, let me tell you something. Some of you are praying for that day, and we are praying for you. Uh, because that's a good day. That is a good day. It makes life a lot easier. And uh, but so while things got have gotten easier, so I remember in the early days, man, it was I tell you, being a dad was like being the perpetual referee of a hockey game. And uh, I spent so much time breaking up fights, calling timeouts, sending people to the penalty box, uh, which is a chair that each of the kids had in their room when they were younger. And uh, they had this room that whenever they would misbehave, like chair. And they were just, uh, you know, and they, they, well, first of all, I don't even understand how that strategy works. That's not how I was parented, right? Um, like, it's like, hey, you did something wrong. I want you to go to the place where you keep all your toys and think about that. And uh, like that, I wish my mom and my stepdad had learned about timeout when I was growing up. We didn't have that. <laughs> we had knockout, not timeout. So, and so anyway, uh, but one of the things that um, when the kids disagree or get into a fight or whatnot, uh, they, and they, the, uh, they, they have to apologize, and then they have to say, I forgive you, and then we make them hug for 20 seconds. And uh, I don't know if that's just necessary. I think that's just more Carrie and I like having some fun. Like, and then we can't, if, we, uh, if, if they count too fast, we double it. And so, you know, they're like, one, two, three, you know. So one Mississippi, two Mississippi. And so anyway, um, but anyway, so a few years ago, all three of them, typically two of them get into an argument. But this day, all three of them got into an argument. And then um, Livy hit her brother. And then Xander threw something because Xander's not allowed to hit his sisters. Uh, Then again, the girls aren't either, but that's a different conversation. Um, And so, but Xander comes out and then starts telling the story, and Olivia just says, I'm going! And she just went straight to the chair, like without even being told, uh, and it was, I told Carrie, I'm like, this is amazing. Carrie, they're disciplining themselves. If we can teach them how to cook their own food, we don't even have to take them on vacation with us. They can just work it out here like children of the corn, you know, and uh, so (laughs) for. You got to be a certain age to remember that movie. And um, so anyway, now, uh, so I tell Carrie now, because I see it's working out, and I'm like, you know what, Carrie, don't worry. I'm going to take care of this one. And uh, so I'm talking, to, I'm talking to Mia and Xander, and, uh, and they were really upset with Xan, just FYI. And uh, uh, what I meant to say, and that is a very important part of this story that I'm telling you. There's something I meant to say, which was to Mia I know you want to hit your brother. Unfortunately, what I said was, do you want to hit your brother? And uh, and, and so, but I, I know you want, anyway, so I say, do you want to hit your brother? And Xander turns to me like, yo, this is not time for some new parenting technique. And before I can, you know, correct the thing, Mia just clocks back, boom, just hits him square in the chest. Xander goes down like Rocky in his first fight with Clubber Lang. And, uh, and, and I'm in shock. My whole parenting strategy has just blown up. And, uh, and I, I'm realizing I'm not equipped to handle disputes of this magnitude. And uh, so my wife steps in, fixes it, and then I got sent to the chair. And see how, that, see how that kind of works? And so anyway, now, here's the reality, is that it really doesn't matter how old you are uh, you're going to encounter conflict in your life. And most of us, when we think of conflict, if we're being honest, we think in terms of good and evil. We think, because, you know, whenever there's a conflict, we're the good guys, and whoever has disagreed with us is team Satan. And uh, now, and, and so, I thought that was funnier than you did, but anyway, <laughs> we're going to keep working this on the services to see if anybody responds. But anyway, and, and by the way, sometimes that's true, Right? Sometimes somebody's totally wrong, and, and it's like, hey, man, that's just, that's just evil. And, and, and sometimes, well, sometimes you get a notice from the IRS, and you can be sure you're the good guy, and the people trying to take 30% of your income, those are the people in league with the devil. So anyway, um, but maybe that's just me. Um, so, but what happens, so here's the thing that I want to talk about, and this is important. What happens when two Christians disagree? What happens when two people who love each other, love God, They just don't see eye to eye. How do you handle that? And what immature people do is they try to vilify the other person. Uh, Or they'll try to point out every single mistake that one of them has made in their entire life. And, uh, you know, so something happens, and then one person goes, Well, you should have heard what that person said in 2006. And uh, can I just tell you, I don't know if anything makes me crazier than people who do that. And, and like this gets done in politics all the time. Well, in 1984, this guy, like, dude, 1984, that was a while back. <laughs> like, here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping you've grown since then. Maybe you did say something dumb. I'm guessing if we replayed the tapes on all of us, we've said something dumb since 1984, those of you that have been born, that were born around, you know, then. Right? But the problem is, so listen, so how do we as Christians... Handle conflict in a godly way. And that's what we're going to spend some time talking about this week. We're going to actually spend a little bit of time talking about it next week as well, because in the church, what's happening in the church in uh, Jerusalem at the time is that there's a dispute. There's a dispute. Some people in the church are believing one thing, some people believing another, and it's causing an issue. And it all centers around Gentiles. Now, if you've been with us in the book of Acts, and this is, I think, our 23rd message. In the book of Acts, you'll, you'll remember that for about the, uh, we've noted that for about the first 10 years, the church stayed primarily in uh, Israel. And, uh, and then the movement now starts expanding. The gospel is going out into the Roman world as we've been studying. And so the question then comes up, and it's a fair question, all these people who are Gentiles that have no Jewish background whatsoever, what's the deal with them? Because Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Jewish Messiah. So we understand how Jewish people get saved. But what about people who have no Jewish background? Is he their Messiah? Did they even believe in a Messiah? I mean, how does that How does that all work? And that is, the, the question of how a Jewish Messiah saves non-Jewish people was a hot-button topic in the early church. And what we're going to learn is that we're going to learn a great deal about accepting people that did not grow up in, in a... a with a faith background like us, and we're going to learn how to deal with conflict with people that we love. So we're going to start in chapter 15, starting in verse 1, where we read this. It says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. If you pause there and give me your attention. So how do we, if we're going to have a disagreement, how do we fight the good fight? Most of us know how to fight a bad fight, but how do we fight a good fight? The first is this, if you're a note taker, understand the real disagreement understand the real disagreement. Now, let me give you some context. Paul and Barnabas, let me show you a new, a brand new map, by the way. People have been ex- talking to me about the map. I didn't come up with these maps. I just found it. But anyway, I will take full credit anyway. So, the, uh, Paul and Barnabas had just finished their missionary journey. Remember, they went to Derby, Lystra, and Iconium, Antioch, and Pisidia. They spent a bunch of time there. Then when they went back, they went to a, 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 Atalia, then they made their way back to Antioch. So the verses that we just read, this is all happening in Antioch. And you might say, well, why does it say that certain people went down from Judea, that is Jerusalem, they went down even though it's up? Now, you got to remember something, that the Bible almost always uh, speaks topographically. Um, most things in the area were lower than the city of Jerusalem. So if you remember, and then a couple verses later, it says they went up to Jerusalem because you always go up to Jerusalem because everything in the area was lower than the city of Jerusalem, which is set on the hill of uh, what's called Mount Moriah. And so anyway, so people are are coming from the north, from Antioch, down to Jerusalem. That's why they went through Phoenicia and then they went through Samaria, which is uh, right about here and then they make it to uh, Judea, and then we'll, that map will show up again uh, soon. Now I know it's hard for us because we live in Florida and everything is completely flat, right? Like if you stood on the top of a pretty tall building in this area, you could probably see almost a Jacksonville, right, it's just it's just how it is. But in other parts of the world, there are these things called hills and mountains, and, um, and so because of that, because of the way that the city of Jerusalem is set, you always go up to Jerusalem. You always go down from Jerusalem. Now, I shared this in an earlier message, but it bears repeating. We should be able to understand the Pharise- the group of the uh, Pharisees, the, what they're asking, um, where they're coming from. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, so it would make sense that a person would have to become Jewish to then embrace the saving work of Jesus. Now, I personally disagree with that position 100%, but I understand where they get there. And I think that's one of the things uh, that's important in any kind of argument is when not just, un, just understanding your position, but understanding how do these other people get to their position. Now, um, because it all boils down to the answer of this question, who is the gospel for? For these Jewish believers, they would say that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is for Jews. And if they want in on some of that, Jesus saving stuff, well, that's great. Become Jewish, and then you can become uh, completed as Jesus saves you. For Paul and those like him, they preached that the gospel was immediately available to everyone. And Jesus seems to kind of lean in that direction, because in uh, John chapter 3, he says, "...for God so loved the world." Right? Not just for God so loved the Jewish people. God loved the entire world that he gave his only son. So Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, but just like the Jewish people were called by God to be a light to the world, so in the same way, Jesus is the savior of the entire world. For the Jewish group, the gospel was the fulfillment of keeping the law. Um, For Paul and for Peter, the gospel was about the grace of God. Now, and that's kind of the difference, really the ultimate difference, is whether it is going to be about the law or whether it's going to be about grace. Now, for those of you that are New Testament students, I'll just throw this out there as just kind of an extra thing. Right after this council that they're going to have, Paul is going to write his first epistle, which is the book of Galatians, which is all about this issue, law versus grace. And uh, he makes the argument for the grace of God, and not that the law is bad. uh, He makes the argument, though, that the grace of God is the only thing that we could ever attain because it's freely given. Now, let me explain what I mean by grace. Grace, the definition is unmerited favor. It's getting something good that we don't deserve. Now, how that differs from mercy, mercy is not getting the consequences that you do deserve. So if you've ever been stopped by a cop for speeding and he decides not to give you a ticket, that's mercy. Getting the ticket is justice. Not getting the ticket is mercy. Now, but grace picks up where mercy leaves off. And imagine if he's like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to give you a ticket, but here's 20 bucks, right? That would be just total grace. Like that's totally not even deserved. Now, my favorite story of this ever is uh, a friend of mine. And he's spoken here before, Trinity Jordan. Trinity's one of my best friends. And um, he has this story that he tells. And um, every time he's in with a group of people, that one person has no story. I'm like, tell the Mark Hamill story. And so I have begun begun telling the Mark Hamill story. I tell it only once a year, um, and only because I just love to tell it and I have to control myself because I tell it every week. And um, I'm gonna get to a point where I've told it so much, it is gonna be me who was driving. So anyway, now let me, for those of you who haven't heard, I know some of you have because I love to tell it, but let me just explain what I mean. So my friend Trinity was on the board of directors at a college, and these two schools got together uh, two colleges because they were going to bring in Mark Hamill as a speaker. Now let me show you this picture. Um, Mark Hamill is the guy on the right. And so, um, and if you don't know who the guy on the left is, we can't be friends. And so anyway, so um, my friend Trinity is the guy who's supposed to pick Mark Hamill up from the airport. So the, his, the, fl- Mark's flight was running late, and so Trinity gets in the car, and he starts speeding Uh, to try to get Mark uh, to the school on time. Now, a cop sees him on the highway speeding, turns on the lights, and pulls him over. And the cop walks up and says, "Uh, sir, license and registration. Well, Mark Hamill, in what has to be probably one of the 10 coolest moments in history, looks over at the cop and says, you don't need to see his license and registration. And the cop starts freaking out. And he's like, "Dude." you're Luke Skywalker. And and the cops, and and, and he says uh, to the cop, he goes, hey, man, we're trying to get to this engagement at the college. Do you think you could help us out? And he's like, help us out? Yeah, of course I can. You're getting a police escort to the college. Now, okay, so let, if we can just, all right, so not getting a ticket, that's mercy. Police escort, that's grace. Luke Skywalker, well, that's just awesome. And so that's how that, that's how that works. Now, The problem when it comes to conflict, and I've seen this happen so often uh, with couples that I've counseled over the years, and by the way, um, uh, like sometimes they just don't even know, they're so upset with each other for so long, they don't really know what the conflict is really about anymore. They're just upset. It's like, what are you upset about? Everything. Your face. The sound of your voice. It is so annoying how you sleep how you stand, the way you look, your mama. And just like, whoa. You know what I mean? It's just everything, right? By the way, I'll tell you this. I don't counsel couples anymore. Um, And and I'll tell you why. Uh, I've been pastoring this church for 23 years. And in 23 years, um, 100% of the couples that I've counseled have left Calvary after I counseled them. Like really, like half? No, all all of them, every single one. And, um, and, and so uh, whenever someone's like, hey, pastor, do you think you could give us some counseling? I don't hear that. What I hear is, pastor, um, we, we'd like to leave Calvary and we're hoping you can make that happen for us. And uh, so anyway, so now we're just, I'm going to do this part and somebody else going to do that part because then you won't hate me. And so anyway, so well, let me tell you what uh, the, biggest, the biggest issue that I see so often in, in marriages is, is this. There is this frustration over unspoken expectations. Listen, this is... Um, that is, there's things that you want your spouse to do or say or react in some way, but you have no intention of verbalizing those desires. And here's what you need to know about your spouse. And your spouse could be so gifted in so many ways. But they are not mind readers. The only way for your spouse to know what you want, this is shocking, but the only way for your spouse to know what you want is you got to actually tell them. You do. you got to actually tell them. And once that's on the table, now you can talk about it and figure something out. By the way, just because you, ta- just because you say what you want doesn't mean that they're going to agree. But at least now we know what the disagreement is about, and we can start talking about it and look for uh, some helpful insight. And that, that's what happens next. Look at uh, verse six. So I'm going to read kind of the whole the whole back and forth, and then we'll we'll talk about it. It says this. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider the matter, and when there had been much dispute, Um, which, by the way, is kind of a tough translation. That sounds like it was very argumentative. Um, The the Greek word literally, it just means like like vigorous discussion. I mean, there was just a lot of back and forth about it. Anyway, Peter rose up and said uh, to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose us, chose among us, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's everything that we saw in chapter 10 and chapter 11. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, making no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened as Barnabas and Saul declared how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they became silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agreed, just as it is written, After this I will return... And will build the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does these things. Known to God from all eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now if you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing that we want to talk about if we're going to fight the good fight is one, understand the real disagreement. Number two, get helpful insight. Now, here's what I want to do for a second. I want to, you know, what we do most of the time at Calvary is zoom in. We zoom in to the verses and then we'll even zoom into the words and we'll zoom into the original language. What I want to do for a second is zoom out. I want to zoom out because sometimes we look at the verses but we fail to see the scene that the verses are showing us. So there's a lot of discussion on this topic about Gentiles. There's disagreement as people are giving their opinions, making points and making counterpoints. But first Peter And then later, James, stand up and give a word that clears the confusion and provides resolution to the debate. Now, what I want us to note is that this whole situation was resolved because everyone came together looking for a solution and they went to the people who could solve it. And this is really important. Um, we have to be careful when we have a disagreement with a friend, a coworker, with a spouse, um, you know, with a parent, whatever, and you decide to talk to everyone else but the person. That And listen, I'm telling you this because it's really not helpful, and here's why it's problematic. Your friends love you, and they're going to agree with you most of the time. And when they don't agree with you, that's usually when we get upset. Like, hey, man, I need someone to talk to. I don't need your judgment right now. Like, no, man, I'm just asking questions. You know, and, but what we need to do is, is have people, you know, you got to have people you talk to. But we got to be careful when there's a lot more venting than receiving counsel from wise people. Because what happens when you've vented, and all of us have experienced this, something happens and then we decide, we call a friend and we like vent for half an hour. And they're like, all right, thanks, bye. And you feel a little bit better after you've vented the problem is nothing has changed this is why you've got to talk to the people who can help be part of the solution and sort out the situation because things only get better ultimately when we talk to the person we're having conflict with and work it out because if if all we do is vent here's what happens a lot of times We'll vent to someone else and then we won't say anything and things will just kind of go back to normal. But that problem is still lying under the surface. And then something small will happen and people just explode um, and, and then just say, you know, whatever to the person. And, 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 and once again, it's like um, the situation that caused the explosion is not the one thing. It's about 10 other things, but we never talked about it. And, uh, and I, I'll tell you how I watched this firsthand one day Um, because I was listening in on a conversation when I was standing in line about some other family, which was really fantastic. Um, So this is about seven or eight years ago. Uh, Our kids were a lot younger. We took them to Disney World, and we were at the Magic Kingdom. We were going to ride It's a Small World because we were like, man, I don't have a song stuck in my head. Let me just go there. And um, so... I was parking the stroller, and you know, if you've been there, you know that they built that whole Rapunzel's tower, and uh, it's so kids get so excited. I want to go to Rapunzel's tower. It's so sad when they find out it's just a restroom. And um, and anyway, so but it's that, and then it's stroller parking. So, uh, care. I tell Carrie and the kids, I'm like, you guys get in line. I'll park the stroller, and then I'll 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 meet you guys. So the kids, you know, they're already going down the 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 line. And um, so I'm getting in line, and I'm trying to figure out a moment when I make a turn, and they make a turn, I can just kind of hop, and so people don't think I'm cutting the whole line. But I hear a guy talking to his wife and his kids, and there's uh, another woman there who's a little bit older that I'm assuming is um, his mother-in-law, and she says, well, I just figured you knew what we were doing, and apparently that is the one thing you don't say to that guy, (laughs) because he just let loose. And he's like, we don't know what you're doing. We can't know your plans if you don't tell us. Your lack of communication is stressing us all out. And this guy is screaming in line. And I am riveted by what's going on. So now, I don't even remember I'm in line to find my family. I'm just kind of following them along with what's what's going on because I want to know what happens. And so, now... What's crazy is, is that I think that they kind of, you know, you can kind of sense because I was like right there. I mean, I was, I was closer than I should have been, but I didn't want to miss any dialogue. And so I was very, <laughs> I was very close. And so now, I'm and, and then, so they turn around and I am like, you know, and, um, and the crazy part was I turn and the guy's wearing a shirt that says Hakuna Matata, I don't think you know what that shirt means. It literally means no worries. It's part of a problem-free philosophy. Anyway, now apparently, uh, so a few days later, we're at Disney Springs having ice cream. And uh, we're just, the five of us, we're just outside having ice cream. And uh, we're just sitting there, and, and, and the five of us are talking. When this guy walks by, and he is screaming and cussing, um, and, 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 and I turn around, and this guy is wearing a Hakuna Matata shirt. And I'm like, are, do they only give these shirts out to people with anger problems? I'm telling you, I think if you go there to buy the shirt, it's like, hey, I'd like to buy this shirt. Are you at least partially homicidal? It's like, oh, I'm fully ready to snap. Oh, here you go. Enjoy the irony. And um, now, <laughs> now here, here's, here's the thing. And that, by the way, that's what happens when we don't talk to the person. We just end up blowing up. And um, now, how does this conflict in the church get resolved? Peter stands up, gives a brilliant argument that essentially works out to three points about how God has uh, dealt with Gentiles. And I put them in your notes. We're going to go over them quickly. Number one, here's what Peter says. God accepted the Gentiles by faith. Peter reminds them of what happened when he was at Cornelius' house in chapter 10 and he reminds them that, hey, remember I told you this, that's what happened in chapter 11, that in the middle of uh, Peter speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on uh, these Gentiles and, and they just received the Holy Spirit. It was amazing. The second thing that he says, he, he says this, that God's law shows us our need for grace. And I love what he says. Uh, he ends up saying it in, um, in verse 10. He says, why do you want to put a burden on people? that neither us nor our parents were able to bear. Like, you want to put them under the law? You know that you can't. The the whole reason why there's sacrifices is because you can't keep the law. So the whole point that Peter's saying is, the law is good. The law is good. The problem is we can't keep it. So why are we trying to put a burden on these people? And the third thing he says is that God saves people by grace. In verse 11, he says, we're saved in the same way they were saved. That it's all the grace of the Lord Jesus, and then Paul and Barnabas share their experience, and and then James, uh, who, if you're not aware, is the half brother of Jesus. That is, he is the uh, child of Mary and Joseph. Because if you're not aware, and some people aren't, Joseph and Mary, um, after Jesus was born, they actually had kids um, together, uh, several. You can see that in Mark chapter 6, a few other places. Anyway, but he starts adding some scriptural perspective. And that's why he talks about, I'll rebuild the tabernacle of David in verses 16 and 17. Now, um, I read that. And so th- this is what he quotes is Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. Now, as it ten- as it works out, I-, I just for the PhD that I'm working on, um, I just wrote a paper about Amos chapter 9. So I am like so loaded to bear on these verses. Um, but... Uh, Amos chapter 9, especially the second half, which starts at verse 11, um, is a prophecy about the second coming of Jesus. And what the prophecy is about, how God is going to restore. Remember, at this point in time in Amos's ministry, the kingdom was divided between a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. What, what God tells, says through Amos is that he's going to restore the kingdom of David to one. That's why it says that he's going to enlarge their, t- and tabernacle, enlarge their tent. And that's going to happen. He's going to reunite the kingdom, and that'll happen at the second coming of Jesus. And James points out, and this is so brilliant, he points out by quoting this, that even uh, all the Gentiles who are called by my name, that everybody has a place in the tent. And, and here's the point that James is making. As he quotes this, if the future kingdom of Jesus has Gentiles who were called, how can the kingdom that Jesus is establishing now not have Gentiles in it too? And that's when he says, um, known, uh, in verse 18, known to God from all eternity are his works. And then he says in verse 19, and this verse is so important, you should have it underlined and, um, you know, um, we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. I have this verse framed in my office. And uh, I see it on a daily basis. I I love this verse. Um, We should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Um, Our job as a church should be to make it easy for people to come to faith in Jesus. That is that we create environments where people can grow and learn. We present messages that are understandable, that we can apply to our lives. We invite people to grow together as we build community. That's why we do what we do as a church. Our mission as a church is to help people take their next step with God. And every time you serve or give or invite someone, that's what we're doing. By the way, let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that being a Christian is easy. It's an easy life. I'm also not saying that you can come to God any way that you want and believe however you want. What I am saying is this, is that we aren't adding anything more than what God requires. We are presenting what God requires and allowing God to do his work. And that's the thing that James is saying. And then they write a letter outlining their decision. That's what happens in verse 22. It says, then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men from their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, uh, leading men among the brethren. And they wrote this letter by them, the apostles, elders, and brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men with you, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Now if you pause there and give me your attention, last thing. If you're going to fight the good fight, seek out a real solution. James and the leaders in Jerusalem write a letter to the church in Antioch and that whole greater region where Paul and Barnabas had been doing ministry that we looked at over the last few weeks, outlining instructions for the Gentile believers. They outlined four commands for Gentiles. And the goal of these commands is not only because it's good for them, but these four commands are going to keep them from offending Jews uh, who are in the area. Now, did they just come up with these four things out of thin air? probably not. There was in that time, it still exists to this day, what are called the, uh, the Noahide laws. This was a rabbinic teaching that's found in the Talmud. And if just by re, for review, the Talmud is um, a multi-volume work that is the teachings of the rabbis further explaining the Torah. So it's kind of like a commentary on the Torah. But the rabbis talked about uh, the seven laws that were given to Noah. According to Judaism... A Gentile doesn't have to follow all of the Mosaic law to be saved. Those are laws that um, when you um, come under the, the covenant of Abraham and the law, you, you accept the law of Moses. That's why um, a bar mitzvah, bar is a Hebrew word that means son. Mitzvot uh, is a word that means commandment. You become a son of the commandment. A bat mitzvot is, is the same thing. You become a daughter of the commandment. So you are receiving the commands of God as your own. So uh, a Gentile doesn't have to follow the entire law of Moses to be saved. All Gentiles have to follow the, what's called the, these Noahite laws, which are the seven laws that are given to Noah. And if they do, according to Judaism, they will attain a place in the world to come. Now, once again, this is not biblical teaching, um, but this was part of Jewish culture. And many scholars believe that uh, because some of these laws are very close to what some of the Noahite laws are now. Of course, these Gentile Christians would have to follow all of the teaching of the apostles, which uh, became, was canonized and became the New Testament. And these laws, these four laws that represent the Old Testament moral laws. Now, the reason for this is because Gentile believers and Jewish believers in Jesus were going to have to coexist in every city where there was a church. Now, I'm gonna talk about the, I don't have time to do this justice, so next week I'm gonna go, we're, we'll do a deep dive on these four commands and, um, and, and how they're presented. And because um, I want us to understand why each of these commands are perfect and then Paul's gonna have a little brouhaha uh, at the end of the chapter, which we'll talk about that too. And, um, but what I wanna do as we close is I wanna talk about conflict in general and how we can have more peace in our lives in less conflict based on everything that we've seen. Here's number one if you're a note-taker. Make a choice to live at peace. The charge we are given as believers is to live in peace, but no one has a conflict-free life. Here's how, I, here's how you can know that. Jesus had conflict. Jesus went around doing good and people would lose their minds because he was doing good. The thing is, Jesus wasn't the reason. He wasn't out doing stuff that was causing the conflict. He was doing good stuff and people had a problem with it. That's why in the book of Romans, Paul says, if it is possible, notice, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So he's giving you some clauses here, like, hey, I know it's not possible to live at peace with all men all the time. But as, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Why? Because there are people that are just impossible to get along with. And it has nothing to do with you. People just have issues. And, um, and, and there, there are, and, and, so what do you do? Like what you've got to do is limit your contact with them and well, they don't know Jesus and they're my family. Okay. Then here's what you've got to do. If that's the case, you've got to recognize that when you're around them, you've got to realize I'm doing ministry and it's not going to be easy. And I'm telling you, if you'll just, um, put yourself in that mindset, it's really, it's really going to help you. My issue is, and this is the thing, I, I think that the, that Romans passage is telling us, don't be the reason for the conflict draw close to God, watch how God changes your speech, changes your uh, actions, changes your motives. And if being a Christian is the problem, then yeah, there's nothing nothing you can do about that. Okay, here's the second thing I wanna tell you. And that is this, think beyond the moment. Sometimes our conflict comes from words that were spoken that should have never been said. Now here's what I mean by that. That is that uh, when we let our emotions get the best of us, we end up saying things that we regret. And then in the moment, and, 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 and once again, a lot of times we don't want to admit this, but in the moment we wanted to hurt the other person, we wanted to be right, we wanted to let off some steam, and so we say some things we shouldn't say, and then uh, what happens is when we kind of calm down, we're left with some of the wreckage that comes from our words, and then we try to fix it by saying, well, you know, I didn't mean that. And that, that strategy never works. You know why? Because everyone knew that we meant it. And when those words have been spoken to us, we knew that they meant it. Um... And, and what happens is, is that it's a lot of times when truth is presented in the worst possible form, it, 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 just, it hurts so deeply. It is literally the opposite of love covering a multitude of sins. In Proverbs 26, Solomon says this, just as damaging as a madman shooting a deadly weapon is someone who lies to a friend and then says, I was only joking. Uh, I'm telling you, I say this to my kids all the time. I, I say this about words. I say this about actions. I say this about decisions. I, 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 you can ask them this or so you see them. I've will just tell. i told them this a million times. Play this out to its logical conclusion. You're going to do that. You're going to say that. You're thinking that. You want to go there. Play this out to its logical conclusion. And, and you've got this, right? You ever, how many of you, uh, if I can ask this, how many of you have ever experienced buyer's remorse? Like you went, yeah, okay, and out my hand. Yeah, all of us, right? The other people are just lying. Um, and so, <laughs> we, we all have. Why? Because, and, and that's the feeling. So we all know what it feels like to not play things out to its logical conclusion. And that's the thing that the Bible is hoping to save us from. And then here's the last thing, and then we're done. Uh, number three, and that is recognize the spiritual element of conflict. Realize that many times conflict has a spiritual component attached to it. Meaning, that guy didn't just cut you off. That person at work who's super rude isn't just having a bad day. Sometimes that's not random. Sometimes that is just Satan trying to steal your joy. James, who we met in, in chapter 15, um, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote a book in the New Testament, an epistle called James. And, um, and he talked about conflict in chapter 4 of his book and the reason why we have conflict, why we have internal conflict and why we have conflict with each other. He says it's rooted in selfish and worldly desires, And then he gives us the remedy in chapter uh, 4, verse 7. He says, therefore, in light of that, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. When you realize that sometimes the conflict we're experiencing is spiritual in nature, it will change the way you combat it. And my hope for us is that we will begin to see with spiritual eyes what's going on, that it'll change us. In the book of 2 Kings, the king of Syria wants to go to war against uh, Israel. And Elisha the prophet tells the king of Israel, hey, you're going to go this way. Don't go that way because that's where the king of Syria is hiding out. The king of Syria gets so upset because Israel somehow always knows their plans that, um, and, and get, their plans get thwarted that the king of Syria starts accusing his men of treason. And one of the guys says, it's not us. It's Elijah, Elisha, the man of God, and that he knows the words that you speak in your bedroom. And so the king wanted to get Elisha to wipe him out. So he brings all these, this army together to Elisha. When they get to Elisha, Gehazi, who is the servant of Elisha, starts freaking out, saying, we are going to die. And I want you to, I want to just read a couple verses and then we're done. But this is just so powerful. In 2 Kings 6, it says this, And when the servant of the man of God, that is Gehazi, arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, master, what shall we do? And he, Elisha, answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. The minute that Gehazi started looking at the situation with spiritual eyes, everything changed. When you start realizing that there is a spiritual world that runs parallel to our world, you start seeing life in 3D. And uh, about 10 years ago, I took my daughter Mia to go see uh, Star Wars episode one in 3D, he and and Xander. And uh, they gave them these pod racer 3D glasses. They still, both of them still have them. But she was sitting next to me. She's freaking out, you know. This is her first 3D movie. She's like six years old. And she's like ducking, thinks she's going to get hit with a lightsaber. And about five minutes into it, she's like, Dad, I feel like I'm a part of this. That's it. I'm going in. And I'm like, okay, relax. And uh, let's just wait and see how this plays out. But that's what happens in life when you realize that there is a spiritual world that is unseen but is very real. Wise is the person who sees beyond the physical and has their eyes open to what God is really doing. Let's pray together. And Lord, we wanna thank you for that reality that there is a spiritual reality beyond what we can see. Help us to see it, to feel it, to know it, and be guided by it that we might extinguish some of the conflict that we experience. And we're praying it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.